Brazil, the book of Job is the most used book to talk about suffering. I was deeply impacted to see that though the book speaks about suffering, the main subject was not suffering. It has more to do with the, the legitimacy and the motivation that one seeks to serve God than the suffering itself. My name is Angel Torero. I want to welcome you to On Mission with Chris Wright, a podcast produced by Langham Partnership. Visit langham.org to learn more about Langham. What can Christians in Indiana learn from Christians in Indonesia? How can church leaders in Mumbai equip pastors in Miami, which is where I live and serve? On this podcast, we listen in on conversations between Chris Wright and church leaders in Africa, Asia, and Latin America, where my family has their roots. We hope you discover how much wisdom the church in the West has to gain from their sisters and brothers in villages and towns around the world. This podcast is brought to you by the Langham Partnership, a ministry founded by John Stott, to equip church leaders in the majority world. Visit langham.org to learn more about Langham and explore more resources from global church leaders. Our host is Dr. Christopher J.H. Wright, known to many as Chris Wright, a respected theologian and award-winning author of more than 30 books, including critically acclaimed The Mission of God, Unlocking the Bible's Grand Narrative. When he's not writing books, Chris serves as International Ministries Director for Langham. Today's conversation takes us to Sao Paulo, the largest city in the Southern Hemisphere and a major hub for the entire South American continent. This is where Langham scholar Daniel Santos lives and ministers as Professor of Old Testament at the Andrew Jumper Graduate Center of the prestigious Mackenzie Presbyterian University. Through his conversation with Chris, we'll learn about life in Sao Paulo, some of the challenges the church faces there, and how a conversation with John Stott inspired Daniel to focus on reaching the next generation for Christ. I hope you enjoy. Welcome to On Mission. I'm Chris Wright, and today we're off to that great continent of Latin America, to Brazil. And I have the honor this time of talking with Daniel Santos, who is Professor of Old Testament at the Andrew Jumper Graduate Center of the prestigious Mackenzie Presbyterian University there in Sao Paulo. So welcome to you, Daniel, or should I say, bom dia. Bom dia. Wow. Thank you for having me, Chris. It's a pleasure to be here. Uh, that's as much Portuguese as I can manage. <laughs> oh, that's good. <laughs> I, I can do obrigado as well, but uh, that's that's my limits. So, Daniel, I don't know if I got your my description of your position right. Uh, perhaps you could correct me or, or give you or give us exactly what your title is and what you do. Well, as you said, I am a professor of Old Testament, a full-time professor. Um, I also I accumulated uh, some administrative responsibilities. Now I am a, some sort of academic dean for our master program. And also I am ordained minister for the Presbyterian Church. So I am uh, called a professor, a pastor, 
uh, achieve, uh, it depends on what context I am working. Indeed. And tell us a little bit about Andrew Jumper Graduate Centre. How does it get that name and where does it actually fit within the McKenzie Presbyterian University? Andrew Jumper was an initiative from our denomination back in 1982. So they started inviting professors from the US and the UK to come over and teach uh, modular courses. Uh, the guy who was behind helping financially with the project was this pastor from St. Louis called Andrew Jumper. And sadly, he passed away uh, in the middle of the process. So the, the team decided to put his name on the institution that was later on uh, initiated. So the name Andrew Jumper comes from this guy who was initially helping financially and doing some help with the strategies to find professors. Uh, Andrew Jumper is a school that work with uh, pastors. We do not train pastors. We have seminaries in Brazil, but our students for the most part are ordained pastors. They have some sort of ministries in local churches and they have some responsibilities, like some uh, elders and deacons. They come to learn some skills to better understand and uh, expound the word of God. But our focus is primarily uh, someone who has already uh, a bachelor's degree in theology or some sort of uh, engagement in the church, in the local church, doing some ministry. That, that's our main goal uh, in Brazil with this school. So it's taking pastors who are already experienced and have a theological background and, in a sense, giving them refreshment or retooling or further equipping for their ministry uh, in specific areas uh, and deepening, perhaps, their theological faith and understanding? Yes, Chris. Uh, for the most part... Uh, our students are looking for tools to better understand the Word of God, uh, improve their uh, homiletics uh, abilities to preach. Uh, also, they're looking for training to be a professors in some of the seminaries around Brazil. Mm. Uh, and sometimes we have a lot of uh, ladies in our uh, counseling department, uh, even New Testament. So... That's the, the main goal, prepare someone that is already engaged in ministry. Mm. It's rare, Chris, when we get someone, well, we, we don't complain, but it's rare. Um, Daniel, tell us something about yourself. Uh, how did you personally come to faith in Jesus and perhaps a little bit of your journey that led you into academic theology mm -hmm. and, and ministry and uh, pastoral ministry? Chris, uh, I was born and raised in the same city uh, in the Midwest of Brazil. And I am the, the fifth generation of Presbyterian families in that city. Uh, we are five siblings. Uh, all of them, including my parents, still live in the same city. I am the only one <laughs> who got out of there. Uh, my first uh, recollection of uh, being called to ministry was back in 
1986 when I participated uh, in a some sort of short-term mission in Brazil. And my role on that mission was to preach. And I was 17 years old, uh, and the guy, the pastor in charge, uh, gave me the responsibility. And even though it's, it's a podcast, but when the video comes out, I he gave me this book from John Stott. It's, uh, <laughs> this is a commentary on the book of Ephesians. Uh, and uh, the, this edition is from 1986. And he gave me specific instructions. You read chapter four and you memorize it and you, you repeat it <laughs> in front of the people. That's all. Mm-hmm. And I, I remember uh, reading the Stott's commentary on the fusion and was so impacted by the way he was able to uh, list and the, the homiletic that he's so well known. Uh, and that was my first experience being called not only to ministry, but challenged to expound the word of God uh, in, you know, some similar ways. Well, uh, the experience of reading Stott's commentary uh, led me to many different steps in my life. God prepared me to do the things that I do today uh, through a series of miracles, I, I, I like to say. I tell, went to college. Tell, tell, tell us some of them. <laughs> I went to college when I was 17. I have a degree on civil engineer. After that, I went to seminary uh, in 1998. Uh, after that, I, I got married. I served as an assistant and then a senior pastor up until 1998. Uh, in 1998, uh, the end, I, I went to Covenant College in the US, I did my master's degree at THM. That was the first miracle to finish up a degree in the US. Uh, I learned English uh, later on in my life. Mm. Uh, in 2001, I started my doctor's studies at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School in Deerfield. Uh, I finished it in 2005. And then I returned to Brazil in 2006. Uh, to be part of the same institution that I'm still working right now. Mm. So looking back, I see a friend of mine uh, that did the same track to some degree, but for a reason that I can understand, Chris, they had trouble finding the place back home. And by that, I mean, find a way to use their training and their uh, wonderful skills uh, back in the same institution or the same, even the same city. So I believe that was the, the, the a great miracle that God prepared for my life and my family, being able to come back, find a, a very strategic job and stay there or up at this day, I'm yeah. still working the same place. Yeah, that's wonderful. And so, in fact, we just do need to say that uh, your studies for a PhD in uh, in Trinity in Deerfield, you were a, you are a Langham scholar, uh, su- supported by what was at that time still called John Stott Ministries, 
yeah. but is now uh, Langham Partnership USA, um, and fulfilled, of course, one of the primary uh, desires of and objectives of the Langham Scholar Program, which is that you return to your country and have, uh, have are working there and committed and benefiting the church, because the whole point of the Langham Scholar Program is to serve the church uh, in the countries from which people come, uh, and that is what you're certainly doing. So we've got you back to Brazil then, I think you said in 2006. Um, many of our listeners, of course, uh, will never be able to go to Brazil, I'm sure. So we need you to tell us a little bit about your country and particularly, the, you know, the good things, what you love about what's special about Brazilian culture uh, and food and all the things that make it such a rich and vibrant place. So can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, sure. Uh yeah, one thing about ministry in Brazil that we don't have the the privilege to do one thing. So for that matter, I am a, a full-time professor. I uh, I teach evening class in the seminary in Sao Paulo. And at the weekends, I serve as an assistant pastor in the local church where I preach every Sunday and teach in the Sunday school. So that's the, the routine in our life every week. So... Mm. Uh, Brazil, it, you know, it's not for many reasons, but the city where I am based is Sao Paulo. Sao Paulo is, a, is a, I used to call a hub of 587 square miles that connects four uh, counties and creates uh, this huge metropolitan area of 3,000 square miles. And also... 21 million people live in Sao Paulo metropolitan mm. area. Mm. So that makes it a, a small country in its own right. I mean, 21, 22 million is an enormous number of people. It's larger yeah, than quite a few countries I, in the world. When I say that Sao Paulo connects these uh, counties around, I, I really mean connect because, you know, the, the subway system uh, and the highways, they're connecting all these uh, satellite cities to the, the great core, uh, makes it Sao Paulo as a economic center for this uh, great metropolitan area. Mm. But due to the size of the metropolitan area, Sao Paulo also creates what I call the this uh, cultural gravity, uh, Chris, and, and also uh, a cultural uh, black hole. Uh, let me explain this, these terms. As a cultural gravity, I think Sao Paulo manages to keep circulating close to us all the virtues and the vices of our country and from different countries as well. And as a cultural gravity, Brazil manages to keep circulating, for instance, uh, problems that is ours and we cannot get out of it uh, because of the, the the size of the city and the, the feeling that you are part of this world. And as a, what we call a cultural black hole, uh, the Sao Paulo metropolitan area manages to suck in new virtues and vices from different worlds and cultures as well. So having said that, I can assure you that uh, there are many things in Brazil, in, in our country, that are, uh, I'd say, sucked 
in from different places. And that that's where Paul says, you know, that the, the that God has given pastor teachers to the church to equip the saints for works of service. And uh, so can you give us any examples of the kind of things that your students have been doing before they came to Andrew Jumper or that they go on to do, uh, whether in Sao Paulo or in other parts of the country or indeed of, of Latin America? Mm-hmm. Now, our students and the Andrew Jumper, mm-hmm. they are from a different denomination. They fly to Sao Paulo for a modular course of one week. So that means that our students, 99% of our students are not from Sao Paulo. Oh. They come from different states. Mm-hmm. Uh, all of them are already in ministry. Mm-hmm. It means they have uh, some local church that they are involved with. So that's the, the kind of student we have. Some of them are from this part of the city, not only in Sao Paulo, but in different states, uh, more uh, rural area intercities. And they have here what they say to us uh, in the feedbacks that the experience of being together with students from different uh, cities in Brazil, different states, it's very helpful, not not only sitting in class and listening to the lectures and and the classes, but also the the get together with the other students. It has been our major source of joy seeing our students. Uh, from different denominations, different uh, states, different mm. cities, the, uh, just chat and exchange experience. Mm. And usually they return uh, eager either to teach in their seminaries or to preach, uh, to carry on the ministry now with the different perspectives, with uh, an extra uh, theological or whatever tools they got in the training. So that's the the main reason why they come here. Mm. What about, I mean, one of the other things, of course, which I'm sure is very distressing for yourself and many others in Brazil is the, you know, the extent of the COVID pandemic crisis, which is obviously, again, a global issue. Um, But we, we know that that's been very distressing in Brazil. And I'm just wondering, how the church is responding to that, uh, both at a, at a health level um, or indeed if there's anything worth saying in relation to the, the political level, um, how the church responds to it, uh, both socially as well as theologically, uh, which we're called to do on, on the basis of God's word. W- mm-hmm. What are your reflections on that? Well, the, the whole situation hit us very hard. Uh, as you may know, in Brazil, uh, it's part of tradition. Uh, our churches after the service, <laughs> I don't know if you <laughs> if you uh, enjoy that, uh, after the service in Brazil, the pastor walk down the aisle and stay in the door. And he really, he hugs mm. every single <laughs> member. <laughs> And if it is a lady, we give a kiss, Mm. three kiss. Mm -hmm. So that's part of the culture. We hug a lot. And uh, so that was uh, very hard during this uh, pandemic uh, situation. Mm. Uh, We had a lot of problems with leaders that in the beginning, they were not anticipating that the 
situation will would you know prevail for more than a few weeks mm-hmm. but the, the church uh, for the most part they responded well they followed the instructions from the government uh, our churches started to you know, to operate via zoom mm-hmm. uh, for the most part uh, in the beginning we had some discussions whether we would call it uh, a service or whether we would serve like communion over a zoom transmission so in the beginning but down the road we were just glad to be alive and glad to be able to have communion yeah. whether via zoom or whatever means yeah uh, now one thing that we noticed is that we as a pastors and leaders we were anticipating that after being like three months apart the like all the the young people would be glad to return and go back to communion and have you know the space and they we were even anticipating have service of nine hours staying for the morning some uh, brunch and then afterwards some uh, evening service and none of that happened mm. We received after the pandemics, uh, especially the the young people, very cynical about the you know the the need to be together. Mm. And for my surprise, and for the surprise of most of the leaders, uh, the young people actually liked yeah, to go to church via his or her cell phone. Yeah. Just open up the YouTube and. Yes. Listening to a message from whatever, yeah. <laughs> so that's very convenient. Yeah, with a coffee and a bun. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's it, it's becoming quite. It is becoming a problem also here in the West too of people who are you know treating church going in a sense as in the comfort of your own home from your armchair without ever having to physically meet with other believers. I I think it's a uh, it's it's not a healthy sign at all, really. One of the things that I know is uh, very rife in, in Latin America generally, and certainly in Brazil, where there are very large evangelical churches, uh, is the prosperity gospel and that kind of teaching. Um, how has the COVID crisis affected that, or has it? Has it? And, and what is the kind of teaching that you would want to see um, in response to the fairly rampant kind of prosperity gospel preaching? Yeah. You know, remember the, the my metaphor of cultural gravity, cultural black hole? Yes. Well, the cultural black hole was responsible for suck in, uh, you know, ideas of the prosperity gospel. I was just reading something for this uh, live, and I was told that back in the 60s and 70s, there was a a preacher, a missionary from Canada, and he was trained in the U.S. And he was the first one to start the, you know, what we call today the prosperity gospel. He got here in the 60s and 70s. He had no denomination, but he started what became standard, to ask money by segments, <laughs> which means first come front those who have one thousand dollars to give, mm-hmm. and then come those who have seven hundred and and so on and so mm-hmm. forth. 
that was in the, in the 70s. And this guy uh, was a missionary. Hmm. And after that, of course, because of the, you know, the, the cultural uh, uh, gravity, this idea was among us for so many years that we have also uh, some guys from here saying the same things, developing this idea. So, mm -hmm. yes, uh, the prosperity gospel is something that we, our culture, sucked in. And we, uh, when I say we, I, I'm saying, you know, the Brazilian culture, not necessarily my denomination. Mm. So would, if people come, say, to Andrew Jumper with possibly that background um, and assuming that that is authentic and it's just part of Christianity, would you be taking steps to, to disabuse them of that, to help them to come to a better understanding of the gospel? Oh, yes. Uh, just to give you an idea, uh, one of these large denominations, the Prosperity Gospel in Sao Paulo, they were selling uh, a blessed bean, some sort of bean that the, the, the pastor, he himself uh, had a farm and he grew crops on the farm and he blessed that bean. And whoever would buy uh, a, some portion of that bean and take it daily for like a week, they would be uh, preserved from any attack of the COVID-19. Mm -hmm. so, so that was, yeah. uh, do you have an idea yes. of what this, and you, uh, they, they can do? You have not only... Of course, the government was after them and they, you know, they prosecute the church for, for that. But. Now, one, one of the things uh, I, was, I was noticing just looking at what you do is that you, you have a blog and you produce videos um, and you're particularly concerned, I think, uh, with reaching the younger generation, because obviously Brazil is a very young country in terms of the, the population, which I'm sure is reflected in the church as well. So talk to us a bit about, about that and, and what your vision is for, for the youth of Brazil and how you feel the church can be addressing that. I got this idea, Chris, from uh, John Stott. I talked to him once and he gave me this suggestion. Invest your time in young people <laughs> because uh, different from a guy of you know in his or her fifties, you can talk uh, young people into doing something especially good mm -hmm. very easily. But if you are talking to someone in, in his or her fifties or sixties, you may have a discussion that will last like two decades. <laughs> <laughs> with the results of a little change. Yeah. Whereas if you are working with someone, discipling someone, uh, really investing uh, uh, into someone, a younger generation, you may have, uh, God blessing, uh, a different and more lasting uh, impact in your society. So that's what I did. I started to not only invest by my mission is to sit and hear whatever they have to say. Mm -hmm. My blog is just uh, a way to put in my words what I hear from them. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, the subtitle is uh, listening and uh, planting a good seed, just that. So I not only plant new seed, but I also, I do a, 
a very long job listening to what they have to say. Mm. Yes. In that sense, then, uh, on your blog, it's not just you spouting things to others, but you listening to what they have to say and then responding. Is that what you do? Exactly. Is that kind of extended question and answer time? Uh-huh. And, uh, and I have people fighting uh, this uh, question for me. I, I, you know, I talk to people. Uh, I have some live interaction with uh, young people where they... Uh, ask me question and I say, okay, this is a very good question. Mm-hmm. And I'll give an answer in my blog later on mm-hmm. for the benefit of <laughs> more people. Yeah. Uh, but also I have a student of mine that studied with me in Brazil that now are in Chile and others in Latin America. So I started last year a new phase in my blog that I'm inviting uh, young students of mine now serving in a different country to write like in Spanish or other languages uh, and also help me to translate you know my stuff into their language and I can also uh, promote uh, uh, their stuff written in Spanish or whatever the language is and they all of them are my students they they studied with me and I'm giving them the just the the opportunity to be there mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. for some reason that I don't know. Uh, uh, the blog is very famous in Brazil, so I open the door, invite someone new, just to show the the face, and mm-hmm. and I said, "Oh, write according to the question that <laughs> the young people have. Mm-hmm. Don't imagine someone in your mind and just write for no. I want to know the name mm-hmm. who." ask that question. <laughs> so effectively, you're also seeking to give voice uh, to people who otherwise wouldn't find ways to use their voice and to speak and to write, and, and, and you're mentoring and encouraging others to do to do the same, which is which is a good way to multiply yourself, of course. Yeah, that, that's amazing. <clears throat> One of the things that I know you've been involved with in terms of writing uh, is the Latin American Contemporary Bible Commentary, the one-volume commentary on the whole Bible, which has been produced entirely by uh, Latin American scholars, both uh, in the Hispanic countries and uh, in Brazil. Uh, and you've been involved with that. Um, tell us a bit about that and, and what particularly you've contributed. I, I gather your own teaching areas, particularly in the book of Exodus and one or two other Old Testament texts. Have you got favorite areas that you love to do? And with that Latin American commentary, how has that been going? Yeah. Uh, when I did my doctor studies, uh, my PhD dissertation was on the book of Exodus. So I used part of that to contribute to the Latin America commentary. Uh, unfortunately, the commentary is available only in Spanish. Uh, it has not been translated into Portuguese. So, you know, in Brazil, we don't have access to that commentary, not yet. Not yet. I think the plans are that it will be. Yes, that's right. Mm-hmm. And nowadays, I, I write more in stuff related to the book of Job, Proverbs, and Ecclesiastes than Exodus. Mm-hmm. As a matter of fact, I wrote a commentary on the book of Job with a different approach, with... Uh, studies guides and there is a in my blog one 
uh, section dedicated to someone who are interested in uh, getting some involved in disciple, discipling someone in the book of Job. And I didn't know uh, until I wrote this commentary that Job is a, a, a global team. You can talk about Job with someone who are not Christian. Uh, everybody knows something about Job. <laughs> and that's good. That's a good starting point. So, the, yeah, uh, I, I was going to ask something about that because I, I mean, I'm very delighted to hear that you've been doing that work in the wisdom literature, uh, Job, Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, because in many ways that is the most international part of the Old Testament scriptures because they address universal issues uh, of, of suffering and confusion and uh, wisdom and so on. What particularly do you think from your Brazilian context and culture gave you any specific insights into any of those three books that you've been able to share that you feel were particularly relevant to your culture and which might also speak into the West because, you know, so often in the Western Academy, we just assume that, you know, well, the Bible just means what it means. Um, and and we lack sometimes that ability to see texts such as these ones through the eyes of people from a different culture. I'm just wondering how you've experienced that as a, as a Brazilian thinker and writer in your context in relation to those books. In Brazil, the book of Job is, uh, you know, the, the most used book to talk about suffering. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was intrigued by the fact that reading Job in, in Hebrew and in a very, you know, thorough reading in the book, I was deeply impacted to see that uh, though the book speaks about suffering, the main subject was not suffering. Mm -hmm. And I wonder if my church in Brazil would at least consider reading a book from a different perspective. If, from my point of view, the book it has more to do with the, the legitimacy uh, and the motivation that one seeks to serve God than the suffering itself. Mm -hmm. So th that's why I wrote a, a commentary trying to you know, create a new perspective on the book of Job. Uh, it, the motivation, uh, that that's the reason why uh, God accepted the, the test mm. that the Satan proposed. Is your book available in English or just in Portuguese? Just in Portuguese. Oh, uh, we should get it into English. In, <laughs> no, there's a lot of good things in English, but well, available. Well, yes, but I think I think the point you were just making is that people think that the Book of Job is just about the problem of suffering, but you're absolutely right. I think that the the issue really is the integrity of a, a God-human relationship, because the the question that is being asked is, you know, God, do you think Job serves you for nothing? You know, he's in it for what he gets out of it, uh, and similarly mm -hmm. to God. You know, God, you, you, are you protecting Job because of what you get out of it? Because, you know, you're only protecting him because he, he goes on serving you. If you take away uh, what you're giving him, he's not going to serve you. So it, it, in a sense, the question is almost an existential threat to the, the relationship between God and human beings. Is there such a thing as genuine worship 
or are people always in it for what they get out of it, both on the human side and indeed on God's side? And so the question is, well, if you take away everything he gets out of it, will he still be in it? <laughs> will he still be there? Yeah. <laughs> and, 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 you know, and, and that's that's what the book is then wrestling with. And of course, Job refuses to give up his integrity. And, and that's that's the big challenge. So I, I wish I could read it in Portuguese. You'll have to <laughs> you'll have to help me with that one. Um, yeah. But that's that's great, Daniel, to know that you, you're writing, in a sense, for your own context and for people who you know need to hear the scriptures explained to them in that way. Um, you have work in Exodus, and maybe um, we're, we're coming towards the end of our, our time, really. But you have worked in Exodus, and that was where you did your PhD. And one of the ways in which, of course, the book of Exodus has been used, particularly in Latin America, uh, and especially going back to the 1960s, was in liberation theology, as it was called, uh, originating in the Roman Catholic community, but spreading much more widely, uh, with the understanding that somehow uh, the gospel of the Bible must be interpreted and, and include action for the poor and the oppressed. And as we all know, liberation theology was fairly largely rejected by um, many evangelicals at the time, but some aspects of that were, as it were, brought back into the evangelical community, as you know, through uh, the Lausanne movement in 1974, through John Stott, and uh, largely through the, the influence of, of Latin American uh, evangelical student leaders like Samuel Escobar and René Padilla and so on. Uh, and perhaps it's true to say that today there's a, a greater global acceptance of a more integrated or holistic understanding of what mission should be all about without going over to the more liberal aspects of, of liberation theology. Now, I, what I've heard is that there's a fair degree of difference of opinion uh, in that area theologically within the Brazilian church and particularly among evangelicals. I wonder whether you can help us understand what is happening in relation to those issues uh, as to what exactly um, biblical gospel mission does include or should include uh, and how evangelicals are discussing and arguing around that topic. Is that something you can share with us? Yeah, sure. Uh, well, I, I had to decide what to say on Exodus on that subject because indeed the book was, uh, for some part at least, for the, the first part of the book was dealing with that very situation. So the context in Brazil right now, maybe not for the other countries in Latin America, but the context in Brazil, say in the last 20 years or so, it's remarkably different. So not only I didn't have the, you know, much to say addressing situations like that, because poverty in Brazil nowadays uh, may not be related to oppression, but it is a, the way I see it is a consequence of uh, a sequence of generations make bad choices. Now, having said that, I know that due to, to the oppression for many years, uh, some cities, some uh, states in Brazil will remain for the decades still suffering for what happened uh, during the dictatorship in Brazil in the 60s. Uh, so that's true. And I think the church 
can and is helping uh, to give some guidance to pastors. Uh, usually, young pastors are more involved in what we call here the, you know, uh, the social gospel, mm-hmm. to use a common term in Brazil. Uh, but they don't have, it's interesting, we have uh, young leaders that have the, you know, the, the blood and the, all the strength to fight, but for, unfortunately, they are not involved in an institution that he or she can use to, do, to make some difference in the city or the country or the state. Uh, the challenge, Chris, is to help someone who is part of a institution to adjust his or her understanding of the, the gospel as a holistic vision of the gospel. And without you know, leaving the, you know, his or her job to serve as a minister, no, serving as a, a lay person, help the country to get in a different direction on that subject. Uh, I think I was in, oh, I was 20, uh, 2010, I was in Lausanne, uh, Congress, and I saw that, the, the, the perspective that I received from that issue was already developed. Uh, I, I was not part of that. Uh, I grew up in the situation when uh, Latin America was already moving from the, the hardships of the oppression. Uh, so I, my job today and uh, what I can uh, help from my commentary is something more leaning toward uh, perspectives after uh, the, not, not the, pover- the, the, the poverty because we all have uh, poor people around us, but what's the perspective after we leave Egypt? Mm-hmm. Uh, you, all, you, of course, you know that the book of Exodus uh, has uh, 40 chapters uh, and the liberation is only a chapter 14. Mm-hmm. I, I usually, I joke about this, that after the Red Sea, it's difficult to <laughs> sustain and to <clears throat> maintain any topic that was happening in Egypt. And for that matter, uh, the preoccupation with uh, liberation and with oppression and, and all of that. But yes, uh, it is important. I am involved with that to the degree that I am uh, capable of. So I'm not an expert on that. I have my limitations. Uh, and because of the focus too, uh, I wish I had more time. Mm-hmm. I wish I could live 100 years. <laughs> But when you sit to write something and think about something, you also, you have uh, administration responsibilities, you have family, you have a church, you have so many things. Uh, And that ends up uh, helping you to focus on what you actually can do in your life. That's my position now, Chris. I am 52 years old. Mm -hmm. I know that. And, and you're a Bible teacher. Ages so, coming. Yes, that's right. I'm a Bible teacher. Yes. Yeah. And I have a student, a crowd of students around me 
eager to learn. Yeah. So I'll leave that for someone who is already engaged in doing well, that mm -hmm. kind of job. But mm -hmm. that's my position. I'm not against. I'm not. Uh, but I, yeah. I think God has distributed all the things that has to be done for different people. I think I used to feel the same way when I was uh, teaching a seminary in India, as I did for five years, that I obviously, for all sorts of reasons, could not go out into the streets of India and do the kind of work that they would go on to do, uh, both in uh, in holistic mission, in, in preaching the gospel and in caring for the poor and, and, and all of those aspects uh, of their ministry. But what I could do was to provide them with the kind of biblical nourishment and protein and muscles, as it were, that they needed to be able to do that sort of work and survive in it and remain faithful to the Lord and faithful to the Scriptures. So it seems to me that there is a role for theological educators uh, who who stick to that task and, and do it well, but do it in a way which is intentionally missional uh, in its in its outcomes, you know, with the fruit that it mm -hmm. bears in the lives of others. Daniel, let's just finish off with anything else in your immediate future, any plans or projects that you've got? Yes, uh we during the the pandemics i i recorded a series called uh, uh quarantine in job so <laughs> i did a, a audio studies on all the 42 chapters in the book of job someone from another country challenged me to put it together in one media either a, a pen drive or a cd or whatever mm -hmm. <clears throat> edited well and send it to, say, uh, Angola and Mozambique countries that speak Portuguese. So if you would pray that this uh, project, uh, God may use it to bless other uh, people in different countries, that, that would be wonderful. Mm. That's something that I'm working right now. Thank you. That's great. Well, I've been talking here with uh, the Reverend Dr. Daniel Santos, and we will certainly pray for those things. And so, Daniel, it's Good. Thank you for being with us uh, together. Thank you. God bless you. You're welcome, Chris. That's it for today's episode. Praise God for the body of Christ and how God uses each of us to accomplish His purposes. Whether we're Bible scholars and teachers like Chris and Daniel or working in government or in the marketplace or in our homes, we can all be missionaries of the gospel. Thanks for joining us today. Again, I'm Angel Torero, and thank you for joining me for On Mission with Chris Wright, a podcast produced by Langham Partnership. Visit langham.org to discover how they multiply and equip leaders around the world. If you enjoyed today's conversation, will you let us know by giving us a review and sharing this with a friend? And then join me for future episodes where we'll be talking to leaders in Zambia, Palestine, Kenya, Brazil, and beyond. We look forward to having you join for our next episode of On Mission with Chris Wright. In the meantime, God bless. Mm -hmm.